0: chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. And to give honor to the God of glory who has given us his holy and infallible word, let's stand as we give heed unto the Lord. As we'll, if, you, if you're able, we'll stand as we read verses 1 through 10. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum, and a centurion's slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with, with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent uh, friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes and unto another, come. And he comes and to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Let's pray together. Our glorious God, we thank you for this, your word. Help us, we pray, to imitate the great faith of this man of old, even the centurion. Help us, we pray, to have a humble and a trusting, believing faith. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. I speak from experience that people esteem themselves for the wrong reasons. Maybe they, they think they are worthy of some, or esteemed, uh, because one, they're taught self-esteem as doctrine in school systems. Maybe they're taught to esteem themselves because they are attractive. Maybe because they're smart, maybe because they're successful or they're talented, they're gifted in in music or sports or some other thing. People find their identity not in Christ, but sometimes in, in what they do for a living. Maybe they find their identity in academics or sports or even in leisure or hobbies. Others find worth. Or esteem in what others say of them, what other friends or family say of them. Today's text gives us the story of a man who was esteemed, yes, by people, by the elders of the church or the synagogue there in Capernaum, but also was even esteemed by Jesus himself, and we will find out why. And it was because of his great faith. Shortly after being rejected in his hometown, Uh, This is back in chapter 4. We don't have to turn there. But Jesus uh, preached in his own hometown, there in Nazareth. And they, they really didn't care for his preaching. They wanted to shove him off of a cliff and kill him. But after escaping, Jesus then preached in Capernaum. He did so on a Sabbath. And all who heard the preaching of Jesus were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority, not like the scribes and Pharisees. And he just finished preaching one, one of his most, well, you could say the most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which here in this gospel account was an abbreviated version compared to, to Matthew's account. But Jesus then, after finishing the preaching, it mentions here in verse 1 that he had completed his discourse Sermon on the Mount and in the hearing of the people he left and went to Capernaum. Um, I didn't know this but I did a little bit more studying and I I do believe that when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount it's very likely it was in the region of Tyre and Sidon and after he left Tyre and Sidon he then went and traveled to Capernaum a place that he had been before where he was known in his preaching there and esteemed and regarded well for his preaching as we get to today's text we see immediately after the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is approached by someone in need namely a Roman centurion and the main focus of today's text is that you are to imitate the great faith of a centurion esteemed by Jesus Uh, we'll see this in two main points pursue a humble faith secondly Pursue a trusting faith. Let's look at this first main point. Pursue a humble faith. Now before looking at the, this person or this centurion, I want us to look a little bit more at what does it mean to be a centurion. A, the word centurion um, is Latin, but it came from a, the Greek word here is literally a ruler of a hundred. And in Latin, the word centurion means a ruler of a hundred. Um, the word centuria is the Latin for a group of a hundred. And if you want to remember this, think of century. Century is a group of a hundred years. A century, a centuria, uh, it's the, some of these words that we speak in our language, a lot of it comes from Latin. But this was a man who developed, you could say, this position of authority, not very likely, not just because he was granted it, it was because he had experience and many years of war and leadership skill. Um, he likely served in many a battle and very often placed his life at risk for the sake of Rome Now those who achieved this position of Centurion they were esteemed by the citizenry, not necessarily by all the Jews but Uh, especially by the citizens of Rome who loved Rome. They were esteemed because of their great uh, faithfulness and service to the Roman Empire. But also the Romans, you could say, made them financially stable. Um, And we know this because the man was able to afford a servant or a slave. He was able to purchase a slave. He was also able to afford building an entire synagogue for the Jews. So this man was, you could say, uh, decently well-off enough to be able to to uh, manage this. Now, the Jews didn't care for being a nation in subjection or a, a nation under the authority and rule of the Romans, but here's a case where the Jews of Capernaum really loved this centurion. And, and the reason is because a um, it's revealed when this man is having a sick servant. Look at verses uh, 2 through 5. And a centurion slave, who is highly regarded by him, that is by the centurion, was, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was He who built our synagogue. Now, you might ask, well, how did Jesus how did Jesus know about this Jesus? How did the Centurion know about this Jesus and his power to heal? If you go back to chapter four I might as well, we're close enough. let's go look back to chapter four. This is Jesus in the region of Capernaum, 440. While the sun was setting, all those who who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, you are the son of God, and rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Then when day came, Jesus left and went to a a secluded place and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other other cities also for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So going back to chapter 4, Jesus... Started healing and casting out demons from sunset to sunrise. And you notice that word got around to the point where large crowds were gathered to him because they were going to bring everybody from the whole nation if they could to bring them to Jesus so that he would, they would be healed. Word of an event like this goes around and the centurion heard of it. And that's why when he found out that Jesus returned back again to Capernaum, he wanted Jesus to heal his uh, servant, his slave, who was very ill. Now, the Jewish elders appreciated how this Roman built their synagogue. That's why they were willing to ask Jesus to heal his slave. They told of his good deed, but also they said of, of the centurion, he loves our nation. And Jesus, no doubt, was very familiar with this exact synagogue because he had preached there before, the last time he was there in Capernaum. Now notice this. The Jews said of the centurion, He is worthy, verse 4. The Roman demonstrated a sincere humility by counting himself as unworthy. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now, Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Now, here's a guy who was a captain of a hundred. He had seen many battles. He had led men Yet he was somewhat timid about going unto Jesus. You know, I'll I'll be honest, many times I've read this passage, I thought that he was considering himself a very important, busy man, ruler of a hundred. I don't have time to go to Jesus, I'm just going to send my messengers. Because I'm busy and I'm an important guy. Why, Why go myself when I could just send a messenger? That's the way I always thought of this. But that's not nearly the case. Jesus explains by telling us that he was a man of great faith. The reason why he didn't want to go before Jesus was not a busy reason. It was a spiritual reason. I believe that he knew Jesus to be a holy man of God and in comparison to a holy man of God, he felt himself to be sinful. Jesus is holy. I am not. I don't deserve to go before Him. You know, one of the greatest men, of the greatest heroes of the faith, Paul the Apostle, he said this in 1 Corinthians 59, I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I am not worthy, Paul said of himself. Ephesians 3.8, he said this, that he is the very least of all the saints. I'm not worthy. You know, none of us are worthy in God's sight. Who goes before God and says, God, you deserve me. God, you deserve to save me. I deserve to be saved. The word grace, Whenever you remember this, whenever you read the word grace, one of the best definitions, the most common definitions is unmerited favor. God saved us because of his electing love, not because he saw that we were worthy, but he saw that we were a fitting recipient of his love, that love which he set upon us before the foundations of the world. That's why he saved us, not because we ourselves were in ourselves worthy. Look next at this faith of trusting faith that we are to pursue. Look at the middle of verse 7 to verse 8. The centurion said, But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me and I say to this one go and he goes to another come and he comes and to my slave do this and he does it. Now some might say to some might say this I am not worthy to go before God in prayer and I'm not worthy to go before God in worship but they do so and they say that in a sinful fashion. I met a fellow once um, he was a dear friend of mine but he told me I don't pray to God because God doesn't want to hear what I have to say in other words I'm not worthy therefore I'm not going to pray well that's kind of taking the word of God and really distorting it and making God something sinister you're saying that God is an unloving uncaring deadbeat dad that's what you're telling me and I told him that But this Roman centurion, on on the other hand, he didn't feel worthy to go before the holy Jesus, but he sought the Lord. He believed in the Lord. He asked for help from the Lord. He sought help and healing from Jesus. Keep this in mind. Yes, we might say to ourselves, I don't feel worthy to go before God. But Jesus says this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew 11:28 and following. Peter also taught that having humility for a Christian is indispensable, absolutely necessary. But he said in 1 Peter 5, 5 and following, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What Peter is saying is that yes, we are to be humble, because if you're not humble, God's not going to exalt you. But at the same time, you are commanded to go before God and bring your anxieties, bring your cares before God because he cares for you. He's not a deadbeat dad. He is a loving father. So motivated by this great compassion for his sick servant, the centurion sought the help of Jesus, and he believed in the divine power and authority of Jesus to heal. And he believed that Jesus didn't even need to touch a person to heal him. All he had to do was say a word and that man would be healed. And you know what? The centurion was right. And he he used a logical argument from the nature of authority of of a man under rule who was ruling over others. And he knew that Jesus Christ had the divine authority of God to heal without even touching. Now, you might ask yourself, well, well, why do we have other cases in the New Testament where Jesus has to touch someone to heal them? Well, he touches them, not because he has to do that to heal them, but he touches them out of compassion for them when he is healing them. One clear example is the, uh, the leper. Earlier, we're not going to turn there, but earlier there's a leper who is healed in chapter 5, 12 and following. The man, can you imagine having leprosy and being isolated from your people. Everywhere you go, you're dressed in these leper rags and you have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And no one can go near you. No one has touched you maybe for years in a row except the first person who's touched you in years is Jesus who lays his hand upon you and cleanses you and heals you. So in that case, Jesus we we see is having compassion on that leper who hadn't had human contact for years. But notice that the centurion had faith that Jesus had power to heal. Now, I want us as a congregation not to be anti-supernaturalists. What happens is in Reformed Presbyterian circles, we don't believe that there is an ongoing gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and ongoing prophecy. Because if that's still ongoing, this Bible's not complete. And we need to add the new epistles, the new epistles of the Pentecostals of Alexandria, and all over, every other tongue-speaking, interpreting church, and prophesying church, the Bible's not finished. And I speak from experience, being in those circles, that a lot of the things that they said God told them contradicts other scripture. Okay, so we don't believe in that. But where is a case to look anywhere in the Bible to say that God said, I will stop healing? I will no longer do these merciful works for you. You cannot find a verse in the entire Bible saying that God has stopped being a worker of supernatural works. And that is why, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we have this little section here in chapter 5 in your outline. Chapter 5, section 3. God in his ordinary providence maketh use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. Now, what's means here? Means is medicine means as doctors, means as diet, exercise, things of that sort. But God is able, according to our confession, to work above and beyond these things. And if you don't agree with that, you don't agree with the Westminster divines and with the testimony of Scripture. So Jesus esteemed this Roman centurion in verse 9 for his trusting faith. Now, when Jesus heard this, he heard the words of this centurion man. He marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. The Greek word here for marveled can also be translated amazed or astonished. Jesus was astonished. He, of course, he he knew the man before he was born. He knew the heart of the man and he knew that his words were coming from a sincere faith, of, heart of faith. But Jesus even esteemed him and recognized him and that's important for us. We should want what Jesus gave unto this man. More than the esteem of men we should want the esteem and recognition of God. That is what is most needful for us. The centurion's faith became sight. Look at verse 10. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. God answered the prayers, uh, the, the requests of this uh, centurion man before the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, brothers and sisters, like this centurion man, rather than seeking our esteem and worth in this life or through the people of this life, ultimately, first and foremost, we should seek the esteem of God, the recognition of God that we first know that we belong to Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice this man's faith. He had a faith worth imitating. You ought to pursue his humble faith. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Be humble. And when you say, I am not worthy, join the club because no one is worthy. God gives us grace, His unmerited favor because we don't deserve it but he sets his love upon us. The most important thing in this life, though, is that you are accepted before the Father. How are you accepted and esteemed before the Father? First and foremost, you must be one who is made clean by the blood of Jesus. You must be forgiven of your sins And when the Father looks upon you, he will not see your sins, but he will even see the righteousness and obedience of his beloved Son. So on that great day of judgment, you have to be covered by the blood and have that righteousness of Christ. But like this man, pursue a trusting faith. One that believes that God hears you. One that believes that God answers you one that believes that God will endeavor to give you what you need in this life, that he is for you and not against you. And imitate faith of every saint that we find in that New Testament and even in the Old. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would help us to live in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Help us to have your esteem, to be pleasing to you first and foremost, and then secondly, give us grace to live at peace with all men as we are able. Oh, Father, we pray that you would have us to have that, that peace that can only be gained through the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. So on that great day that we will stand being recognized being forgiven and and righteous in your sight through the perfect blood of Jesus and through the perfect obedience of our blessed Lord Jesus. Help us in these things and work mightily in our hearts and minds for we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 475 who trusts in God a strong abode. Let's stand and sing 475.